Hey, so uh, without a show of hands, which could get a little bit embarrassing, I'm wondering how many of us have ever found ourselves overwhelmed financially? How many of us have ever felt overwhelmed financially? Like you've lost a job and didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, or you found yourself uh, having to take a medical leave with no like EI or medical plan or support system, or there was just too much month at the end of the money. Or, or how many of us found ourselves you know, in a conflict or a, a, a fight or argument with a spouse or a loved one over spending or saving habits? Have you ever found yourself overwhelmed because of finances or maybe the, the lack thereof? I was 18 years old and uh, was kind of strolling the campus of the University of Toronto in my first week uh, at school and discovered the coolest thing that uh, one of the big banks was interested in giving me a credit card. And I'd never thought about that before, so I kind of filled out the form and a couple weeks later learned that this particular bank wanted to extend me $1,100 of credit. Well, I'd never had a credit card before, never talked to anyone about a credit card before, so I thought that this was pretty cool. Started buying some things and pretty soon realized that I'd been given $1,100 worth of free money. And not only that, not only did I have $1,100 worth of free money that I could spend on all kinds of cool stuff now that I was living in Toronto, um, I learned that every month, you know, you were given this bill and you kind of had the option of whether to pay this bill or not. Because if you didn't pay this bill, you know, at first I was kind of worried, but if you didn't pay this bill, I learned that they just tacked on the amount owing to the next month with some interest. And on and on and on it went. And so at first I would kind of make the occasional payment, whatever. But then when I kind of got sloppy and realized that you didn't have to pay and there were no you know, police that were going to hunt you down because you weren't paying this bill, um, you know, I kind of let things slide for some time. And uh, eventually I'd kind of amassed or, or pulled together a, a bit of a chunk of change. And I'd, I'd walk down to the local branch of the bank that this credit card was from, and I'd gone to make a, a deposit at the, at the Instateller. And as I'd made the payment on the credit card, uh, my credit card didn't come out. And I wasn't sure what was going on. I started pressing all these buttons and, you know, mayday, mayday, mayday. And, 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 and nothing was happening. And so I went inside the branch and I was having a conversation with, with one of the people at the, at the branch to find out what the problem was. And I thought, you know, the problem obviously is with this, this bank machine because it swallowed my card. And they said, no, sir, the, the, the problem isn't with the, the bank machine. The problem is with you. That, that you've abused the privileges of this credit card and, uh, and you now have this credit card uh, relinquished. And I got to tell you, I, I, I walked out of there thinking, boy, I, I can't believe how bad of a situation I've been in financially. And, 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 you know, it didn't even take a human being to determine how bad a shape I was in. A machine could deduce that, that I was upside down financially. And, and, you know, then I had to figure out how to quickly pay it back and where I was going to get this money from. And, and I remember at that time being very overwhelmed financially. At first, not even knowing that I was overwhelmed financially. I was so ignorant to it. And I'm, I'm wondering, for those of us who find ourselves overwhelmed financially, maybe even today, how does that happen? And how do you get out of it? Now, I think that the easy part in understanding how that happens is, is, is the math of it when we realize that what we have and what we spend are different. 
right? We get ourselves into these situations where what we spend is greater than what we have. And so the antidote to kind of figuring out, okay, what do we do with this? How do we get ourselves out of being financially overwhelmed? At first glance, is just to change this symbol to an equal sign or ideally, you know, a greater sign on, on this side where, where what we have is greater than what we spend, which then leads us to the obvious next question of how do you get there? How do you get to the place if you're spending more than you have? How do you get to the place where you're suddenly spending less than what you have? How do you get that attitude of heart that's restrictive or even better content and comfortable with living on enough? Well, well that gets to be a little bit harder. And I think that's where the 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 real kind of wonder of this conversation emerges because we know the simple answers. The question is, how do we get there in our attitude of heart? And I once heard uh, a very profound comment by an author and psychologist named Henry Cloud. He said, where maturity is low, apply external structure. Meaning, if you don't have it within yourself to live a certain way, look for an external structure or support system to guide you to live that way, where maturity is low, apply external structure. And so if you're here today, knowing that you need to change this symbol and knowing that you need to have a different attitude of heart in order to live that way, but knowing at the same time that you really don't have the maturity, you don't have the capacity within yourself to get there, and you're wondering where you can find the external structure and support system to get there, I hope I have good news for you today. Because in the Bible, in all the conversations that God provides and that Jesus teaches on the subject of money and finances, God has actually given us an external structure and a support system to guide us into a more mature, higher capacity way to live when it comes to our finances. It begins back in the Old Testament uh, in Leviticus chapter 27, among other places, where God says this to the people of Israel. He says there, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So God's talking to the people of Israel, his special people back in the Old Testament. And he tells them to engage in this system of uh, this, this behavior, this practice that he calls tithing. Tithing, to give a tithe. The word tithe literally means a tenth. And so the process of tithing is to give a tenth, ideally to give the first tenth of what you receive or collect or earn, kind of your income or your revenue, and to give it to God. Specifically, God provides some instructions of how to bring it to the temple, to bring it to the house, the, the house of God. And so God's people can collect the tithes in order to do the Work of God. Very similar to what we just did a few minutes ago in collecting the offering. That's the idea. Collecting our tithes in, in, modern day, uh, in our modern day environment. But you know, God's idea was that his people would engage in this practice. And he institutes this very early on in the Old Testament law. That his people would engage in this practice called tithing. Okay? Giving a tenth of what you have 
over to God. Now, I'm sure that across all of our locations, the second I said that word, there were some people that bounced out of their seats, told the person beside them, whether it was their friend or spouse or someone who invited them, that they had to go to the washroom, where secretly they're walking out the back now, headed to the parking lot and headed home. You know, there are others who are probably watching online now that are tempted to flip immediately back to the men's Olympic marathon that you were just watching before you, you, you switched over to this talk. Because this is the last thing that you want to hear someone talk about in church. Now, I've talked to enough people in, you know, almost 19 years of ministry to know that the one thing that people both inside the church and especially outside the church are averse to is conversations on money and specifically conversations about this idea of tithing. They assume that all the church wants is your money, that all pastors are going to talk about when they talk about money is tithing because somehow there's some kind of conflict of interest kickback scheme where if more tithes come in, then the church makes more money, then the person leading the church makes more money, and on and on and on it goes, Okay. I've heard all this before. I understand the distrust that people have towards church leaders when it comes to conversations about money, especially when they start on the subject of tithing. I get it. What I'm asking for you today to do is just give me a little bit of, give me a little bit of rope. Give me a few minutes to explain to you how this practice of tithing was while originally instituted by God, intended by God to serve as a support system to advance our maturity when it comes to how we live and behave financially. Because God didn't institute tithing as a fundraising strategy. He instituted it for very different reasons, and I want to talk about some of those today. See, because the, the most interesting part about those verses in Leviticus chapter 27 is not the term tithe. It, it's not the focus on the word tithe. The most interesting language in that passage, in those verses, is the phrase belongs to the Lord. See, God didn't just want you to give a tenth of what you had over to the Lord. God wanted people to give a tenth of what belonged to the Lord. And there's a very different you know, perspective in there, if you can track with it. In Psalm chapter 50, as an example, God says this. He says, you know, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. God is not instituting the practice of tithing to try to raise funds because he needs them. God has no need from us financially, because biblically speaking, God as the creator and sustainer of the universe is already the owner of everything. God is already the owner of everything, and he institutes the practice of tithing to give back to God the first 10% of what belongs to God as a portion of what he's entrusted to people, not as a fundraising strategy, but as an attitude adjustment strategy. See, God institutes the practice of tithing, not to raise money, but to raise people and to shape our minds and hearts. And what tithing does in giving back a tenth of what belongs to the Lord is it reminds us that everything we have is actually God's. That everything we have isn't actually what we have. Everything that we have actually belongs to God. And I know for some of us that might be difficult to feel because we worked so hard in school to get that degree and we you know, worked our way into getting that dream job and we you know, really hustled and networked and to, to get that position and we work hard day in and day out to earn that money and we might feel like 
you know, as hard as we worked and, and as much as we deserve it, that, that income, that revenue that we bring in is ours. We worked for it. We earned it. It belongs to us. But even though we feel that's real, the Bible would say that that's not actually true. And we've got to appreciate, I think, first of all, that there's a difference between something feeling real and being actually true. There is a difference. I was talking to some friends recently. We were talking about uh, travel. And, and someone was noting how often it is that people are more freaked out by air travel than by driving in cars. I've been on planes the last couple of weeks and noticed that too, that people get a little fidgety and especially if there's a little bit of turbulence, all of a sudden they're white knuckled on the, on the handrails there. And, and you know, a lot of people experience a far greater anxiety uh, flying in an airplane than they do driving in a car. Well, it kind of makes you wonder why that is because statistically speaking, your odds of getting in a car crash are about one in 5,000 and your odds of getting in a plane crash are about one in 11 million. There is, statistically speaking, a 2,200 times greater chance of you getting in a car crash than in a plane crash. You have a, 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 the better odds, 2,200 times better odds of getting in a car crash than in a plane crash, yet people feel safer in cars than planes. Why is that? Well, because sometimes we feel things that aren't statistically right or true. That's just the dynamic. And if you think about why that is, I would suggest that we feel things that aren't necessarily true because with what we feel is more real, there's a greater sense of control. And, and you know, when it comes to driving a car, we have a greater sense of control than when we're in an airplane, so we feel more comfortable in a car than an airplane, even though we have a 2,200 times higher likelihood of crashing. In the same way, with our finances, we probably feel like these belong to us, like we're in control of our finances, when in reality, everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to God. That's true, but we don't feel it because we would feel more comfortable with that sense of control. But just because that sense of control creates a comfort that we feel is real to us doesn't necessarily make it true. And what tithing does is serves as an ongoing reminder, as kind of a mindset refresher in whatever regular rhythm you are practicing it, weekly or monthly or whatever, in whatever regular rhythm, it's a reminder that everything we have, we don't actually have or own. Everything we have actually belongs to God and we are merely responding first and foremost by giving back to God the first portion of what belongs to him that he's allowed us to use in the time that he's given us on earth. That's the purpose of tithing. It's to adjust our attitudes around what we have so that we can appreciate that what we have we don't actually have. It belongs to God and we're just users of it. When that happens, then something else really cool happens because our grip on what we have tends to loosen. We tend to treat what we have differently when we're aware that it doesn't belong to us. I saw this last weekend. Uh, my family was visiting some friends from out of town, and so we had about a, an hour and a half road trip. These friends lived in the, the KW area. And uh, so we were doing about an hour and a half road trip, which if any of you uh, across our locations have three kids and do road trips, you know exactly what that means. It means electronics. Okay, you're hoping that those batteries are charged because you're going to need them in this hour and a half drive. And it turns out that one of our kids' electronics, iPad, iPod, whatever, um, hadn't been charged. So it wasn't working. So of course they needed to use one of our phones. And so Becky had handed back her iPhone 
uh, into one of the back seats of the van. But throughout the course of the drive, you know, as, as we're driving along, uh, you know, Becky would get a phone call or she'd get a text or we needed the Google Maps to check on the traffic or to navigate some directions or whatever. There was, you know, four or five times where, where we needed the phone. And so we'd reach back. We'd say, oh, you know, mom needs her phone. They'd pass up the phone. Becky would use the phone. We'd pass it back. You know, okay, again, guys, uh, mom needs her phone. Up the phone would come. Pass it back. No problem. Well, fast forward the next day, sitting beside another one of my kids and their electronics, and uh, we were in the middle of watching the Olympics, and I needed to access something online, but my phone was in the basement of this house charging, so I didn't have it on me. And so I asked them, I said, can I use your, your whatever it was, device? Um, you know, can I borrow it? Because I need to go online for a minute. And they said, no, I'm playing a game. I said, I know, but I, I just need it for a minute. And they said, well, no, I'm in the middle of something. I said, I know, but I just need it right now. I'll just, I'll give it right back. And they said, no, it's mine. And there was really no way of negotiating them out of it because they felt that this was their electronics and, and they weren't about to let me use it and interrupt the game that they, were, that they were playing. And I thought about that after and I thought, what's the difference? Why does, you know, one iPad or iPod get handed back and forth so easily and the other one is held so tightly? The only difference is they were both playing games and you know, doing all kinds of things that they wanted to do on them and there was equal need for them by their parents. The only difference was that in one case, they had it in their mind that it wasn't owned by them. It wasn't God's, but it was their mom or dad's. Um, in one case, it wasn't owned by them. And in the other case, they thought that it was. And when they thought that they were the owners, they had a tight grip. When they realized and appreciated that they weren't the owner, they had a loose grip. And they just used it when they were, when they were allowed to do, when they were allowed to. That's the idea behind tithing that really gets things going. What tithing does is it reframes our perspective so that we appreciate that we own nothing, that everything that we have is ultimately God's, and then it loosens our grip so that we can begin to engage in more of the financial practices that God would encourage in the scriptures. Like, for example, the, the biblical practice of saving. In Proverbs chapter 6, he says, go to the ant, meaning study the, the ant, you sluggard. He says, consider its ways and be wise. He says, the ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. God says, one of the things that you can do once you're appreciating that these resources that you have, you don't actually have, they've just been given on loan to you by God, is you can begin to save. You can begin to put a portion of that away for a rainy day, for an emergency, for a contingency, or even for retirement. For most of us who find ourselves upside down financially, for most of us who are overwhelmed because of this equation, we don't have any room to save. Savings is for another day. We can't think about that today. But when we begin to engage in, in the practice of stewardship, in, in what's called stewardship, using what an owner has entrusted to us, as opposed to assuming that what we have is what we have, we can begin to engage in some of these practices. Same thing's true for the biblical practice of giving. And you might think that giving is the same thing as tithing. Tithing is bringing the first 10% that God has entrusted to you and pooling it together as a local faith community. Basically, bringing that first 10% to your local church in our, in our context. Giving is meeting all those other needs around you, supporting your missionary friends or the Bible school that you went to or, you know, responding to the Syrian refugee crisis or, you know, just meeting the need of someone that you uh, bump into on the street, you know, supporting friends or that sort of thing. And, and a lot of people kind of lump those together and they say, well, if I'm going to give anything, th those are together and I'm going to just kind of, whatever I'm going to give to God's purposes, I'm going I'm to take out of that 
that percentage. And some will go to the church, and some will go to this, and some will go to that. That's not what God intends. You know, you might be cheating God out of your tithe, out of his tithe. Uh, in in uh, Jesus' day, the religious leaders were cheating God out of the other stuff. Take a look at what Jesus said to them in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says to these guys, you're faithful in exactingly tithing. But you don't do any of this. You don't need meet any needs around, or around you. You should do this without neglecting this. This isn't an either or to God. This is a both and that living as a steward can engage in. So that we're free to meet the needs around us. We're free to build up uh, into other people and resource others who are lacking in the moment uh, you know, where, they, where they most need it. Because God's put us in their path and he's entrusted us with those resources to do that. That's some of what God frees us up to do when we begin to see what we have as his instead of ours. Now, I know that some of us are in the process of shutting down. You've given me some rope and you're about to hang me with it because... <laughs> Because you're still stuck here. And frankly, you're still stuck here saying, I, I understand the idea of tithing. I understand the idea of saving. I understand the idea of giving. I'd love to be doing all of those things. But what you don't understand is I'm in this economy where what I spend and what I owe is greater than what I have. And, and I, I understand what you're saying. I can even agree with it. But I can't start doing that until I have more. Until I have more, I can't kind of live this way because I'm in this dynamic. I don't have enough to be able to live the way that God would envision me to live financially. I know many times people feel that I felt that myself. If only there was a day when. Because I feel like I don't have enough couple things I want to say to you if you're in that place. First of all, if you feel like you don't have enough, you're never going to have enough. I need to just warn you of that. Billionaire John D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? One dollar more. Attitudinally, if you feel like you need enough, you'll never get there because there'll never be enough. I saw someone recently who was applying for an apartment. They made $11,000 a month and had the worst credit history and worst credit rating than I have ever seen. Right? The amount of money you have will not necessarily get you out of this mess. Having more doesn't necessarily change the disequilibrium of have and spend. That is not the way to enough. And if you're sitting there feeling like, if I had enough, then, I, I, need, I need you to hear this. Enough is not a precondition to living God's way. Having enough is not a precondition to living God's way. You know what having enough is? It's the outcome of living God's way. It's what you realize when you start doing this and start thinking this way and start engaging in these kinds of behaviors. Then you start to realize that you have enough. Ask the residents of our homeless shelter who a few years ago uh, were awakened to the global rich list. And uh, they punched in their economics and they realized that, you know, as 
uh, low a level as they might be living around here, it might be below the statistical poverty line in the Niagara region, they were still in the top 20% of the global wealthy uh, around the whole world. And they were so struck by that that a few of our residents and former residents started to collect from uh, other shelter residents and begin to invest that money in micro loans through Kiva to people in the third world who are entrepreneurs that wanted to start business ventures to generate revenue. And, you know, these days, they've now collected thousands of dollars and made all kinds of loans, had loans paid back, and it's just a really cool thing. And in the process, you know what people figured out? That even as homeless residents and as former homeless residents just getting back on their, on their feet, you know what? They actually had enough to invest in other people and allow other people to get to enough. They had enough to do that even in the financial situation where they found themselves. I've seen this in my kids the last number of years. A few years ago, my kids started to generate income. They got a newspaper route, and that was around the time when Owen was about eight years old, and so Owen and I sat down, we had this money talk, and I said, okay, son, now that you're generating uh, some income and want to have a conversation about money, he said, I know, Dad. I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I already know about it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, give, save, spend. I said, give, save, spend, what are you talking about? That's how you handle money, give, save, spend. I said, where'd you learn that? I never had that conversation. He said, M&S. As an aside, I thought, wow, what a win for family ministry. The vision of family ministry partnering with parents to raise kids together. I thought, wow, what a gift. Way to go family ministry. Way to go M&S. Phenomenal. And so we started to do that. And from the time that Owen and then he got his brother and sister involved in the paper route, you know, ever since we've had that paper route, the first 10% goes to the M&S program in the local church. Uh, last month or a month or two ago, uh, my brother and his wife, Tracy, were in Ecuador visiting our M&S, compassion-sponsored kids, gave them backpacks based on the, the money that they'd collected through kids' contributions in M&S. Just an amazing experience, right? 10% of our kids' paper goes to that. Another 10% goes to our own sponsor kids, towards Edgar and Johanna, uh, brother and sister that we sponsor and visit in Guatemala every year. And every year we've had the opportunity to pool that and to invest in some, you know, groceries and things. And then on top of that, our kids now uh, with their birthday parties, every time they have birthday parties, in, in lieu of kind of getting birthday presents, uh, they get their friends to bring money so that they can raise funds for uh, birthday presents and gifts and whatever for Edgar and Johanna. And you know what they've learned over the years in doing that? In, in the 80% of the funds that they have left over to kind of use for junk food when they're at the arena or the birthday presents that they get from mom and nan and papa and grandma and grandpa. They've learned that they don't need that other stuff. They've learned that they have enough. And the point is that you experience the reality of having enough, not by waiting for the day where you feel like you have enough, but by engaging in God's design for biblical stewardship and realizing as an outcome that, wow, you actually have enough. Enough is an outcome, not a precondition. I remember learning this in my own life a number of years ago when our church was engaging in its very first major capital campaign. We were still uh, out in the country. We had visions of relocating to our St. Catharines location. And we had this budget where we needed to raise, we thought we needed to raise two and a half million dollars, which was a huge venture for us at the time. And we were trying to figure out how to do that. We launched into this campaign where we invited people to make contributions and, and commitments over a three-year term. And at the time, you know, my first reaction and the first reaction of the team that I worked with, there was about eight of us on staff at the time, was that we, you know, we can't really contribute to this. Felt like we kind of had to. Felt like we had to kind of be a good example to people, but thought like, 
we're not in a place where we contribute to this. I was 30 years old at the time. Becky and I had been married about three years. And in fact, we were just about to become parents. In fact, the very first capital campaign public meeting that we hosted was on the day that my uh, oldest son, Owen, was born. Mom's in the room. Don't get upset about that. You can ask me how I was able to swing that with Becky later. It was all good. Don't worry. But... Uh, and we were about to become parents. My wife's self-employed, so she doesn't have EI or like maternity leave or anything. So, you know, she was about to have uh, no income for a period of time. I was making at the time, I, you know, not a lot of money. We're, we're making, I was making $28,000 a year. I was making $28,000 a year. Our, our utility bills at the time were still sent to our house. We've been married three years. They were still sent to our house addressed to Jeffrey and Susan Lockyer. Susan is my mom, not my wife. Because my parents had to co-sign our mortgage in order for us to be able to get a house. We weren't generating enough income to get approved to, to put a down payment on a, on a home. And so I had all kinds of reasons to think, you know, we don't have enough to contribute to this. This isn't extra. I'm not in a financial position where we've got discretionary income or things like that. But we started to reflect as a group of friends and as a, as a leadership at the time and realize that, you know, there were some things that we could, that we could cut out of our regular spending. There were some excesses that we could kind of hold off on. You know, even the sort of cup of coffee a day, you know, if you extrapolate that, that translates into about $1,000 a year if you do that math. You know, things like that we started to think about. We also started to think about, you know, different windfalls that you have during the year. Income tax returns uh, for a lot of us, you know, were the kind of things that we could anticipate resources coming from. There were other things that we could do. We could sell our house and move and use some of the proceeds there for that. And, and we started to have this conversation and things started to really build where by the time we were having that first public meeting, the eight of us on staff were able to say as kind of a setting the tone for the rest of our congregation that we were in for over $200,000 over a three-year period. We were a very young staff, you know, often single and new, newly married, over $200,000, eight of us. And you think about that average, and then you think of the fact that as a church, we raised in commitments and then ultimately in contributions, we raised that, two, that $2.5 million off 101 commitment cards. 101 families contributed on average around $25,000 in that three-year term. Now, nobody, you know, almost nobody, would have said that they had that just floating around, ready to throw away. Nobody felt like they had enough. But you know what I realized in that experience? At first I thought, where am I going to contribute anything? And then when I started to do you know, some reflection on it, realized, oh, maybe I could. By the time it was all over, I realized God has blessed me with more than enough. And not just financially. You know, ever since then, in moving to St. Catharines and then becoming multi-site and seeing God, you know, birth the shelter and our anchor causes and all this, like, Every time I see the dream of that move realized, run into a, a, a resident or former resident who's now on the path of recovery or hear a story about a Rose City kid who had a great week at Camp Crossroads this past summer or, you know, hear of the way that friendship's making the difference in Vineland with our migrant workers. I, I, it just thrills me and, and, and reminds me that there was a point in my life where I thought I wasn't going to be able to participate in that. And it just gives me so much joy and thrill and abundance and, and I'm reminded of the underlying verse of this, this whole series. Jeff introduced it a couple weeks ago where he said in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and life abundant. 
Right? For those of you who are overwhelmed financially, what is the thief, what is the spiritual enemy of God whispering into your mind and heart to get you to believe, to allow you to experience such a robbery of life? By contrast, what can you allow God to whisper into you today that can give you life and life abundant through engaging in his financial plan? Because the abundance and thrill and contentment and even peace of having enough comes through engaging in God's financial practices. But you engage in God's financial practices when you see yourself as a steward of what God owns, not as an owner yourself. And you see yourself as a steward of what God owns by engaging in the biblical practice of tithing. Tithing is the support system. It's the structure that drives the lifestyle of maturing you to the place where you can experience the contentment and freedom and abundance of enough. You know, there was a time that God said this to his people in the Old Testament through a prophet named Malachi. He said to, their, he said to them in Malachi chapter 3 that you, as people, are under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Imagine that. God accuses his people of stealing from him what belongs to him. Well, he was accusing them of robbing him because they weren't bringing their full tithes to him. They weren't giving him what he understood and had explained to them belonged to him. So he says to them in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. This is the only time in scripture where the God of the Bible dares people to trust and obey him. He says, I dare you to trust and obey me in this and see if you don't experience an immeasurable quality of blessing as a result. As a result specifically of the biblical practice of tithing. Not that he's instituting a relationship of karma where if we give to God, we'll cash out at some point later in the future. But as we're obedient and faithful to God's vision for how we handle finances, God will engage us in an experience of abundance and blessing beyond our wildest dreams. And this morning, I'm not coming at you as a pastor trying to raise more money. This morning, I'm coming at you as someone who's been overwhelmed financially, but who's also experienced the other side and wants to ask you today, you know, which, which life do you want to live? I know which one I want to live. If you need more help with this, uh, contact Kathy Van Drio, our uh, finance director, who can help with the practice of automatic withdrawal. I know that's what we do as a family. So when the bags pass by, we're passing them by, you know, all the time and not, not throwing any money in it because we do automatic withdrawal. It's a way better discipline for us and a way better, I would forget otherwise. And it's a way better discipline for me. As well, coming this fall, we have what's called a global action plan, which is a, a group-based curriculum to help people become more globally minded and engage more actively with the global poor. Part of that involves a financial stewardship team that we have in our church that will come alongside you and help navigate your finances if you could use a little bit more expertise and help in supporting you know, this, this cycle in your, in your own life. But the question today is really, Whose voice is whispering into your mind and heart that you're allowing yourself to listen to? Is it the spiritual enemy of God who only wants to steal and kill and destroy? To leave you a financial mess, overwhelmed, stress, and in conflict all the time? 
Or will you allow the vision and heart of God to breathe in abundance, to breathe in generosity, to breathe in significance and adventure and legacy and contentment and the joy of living with enough by engaging in the structure and practice of tithing that teaches us and reframes our perspective that what we own, we don't own that loosens our grip so that we can engage in the other practices that God would envision, that leads us to the road of enough as an outcome, not a precondition. I know which life I want to live. The question is, which one will you live? It's counterintuitive, but for so many of us, our finances are out of control. I appeal to you this morning. If your finances are out of control and you want to get them back in control, Have the faith and courage to give God control. Let's pray. God in heaven, I just want to pray specifically for all of us across our locations who do find ourselves in a place where we're upside down and overwhelmed financially. Help us to hear the affirmation in our hearts that you know where we're at, that you love us and want to take care of us. Help us to reflect on the vision and the the structure, the pattern that you've put in the scriptures on how finances ought to work. Open our minds to what we don't own. Open our grip to what we hold dear to. And open our lives to engage in the kind of behaviors that you have for us so that you can open us up to the freedom and abundance and fulfillment and significance and contentment of living with enough. Thanks that when we give you control, we can experience way more than we would ever feel in control ourselves. But give us the faith and courage to do that today. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.